0: Welcome to 15 Minutes on the Way, Season 6, The Good, The Bad, and The Foolish. If you're a first-time listener, you really owe it to yourself to start at the beginning. You can easily find Episode 1 of Season 1 at 15minutesontheway.com. Don't spell out the number. Otherwise, brace yourself. For a conversation with God's voice telling His side of your story. After the downfall and disappointment of Jeroboam brought on by his own improvisation of things far off the way, one would think that we could look to Rehoboam down in Judah to cheer us up, right? Right? Rehoboam's got all the rejected priests and Levites with him, along with all the Northerners who couldn't quarter Jeroboam's slithery ways. An infusion of such passionate, noble blood should make for a healthy, spiritual life in Judah. Actually, all life is spiritual and the habitat back then understood that. Your habitat has a fractured, compartmental, and may I say damaged, view of things in this regard. When we last visited Rehoboam, he and his newly augmented kingdom uh, by northern refugees were secure and thriving on the way for a good three years. Well, that was back in Second Chronicles 11.17. The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree, and Rehoboam has some of his father's enthusiasms. And as a result, Rehoboam's been having plenty of children, 28 sons and 60 daughters from his 18 wives and 60 concubines. If you did the math, that's 78 wives and concubines combined. Nowhere near the 1,000 of Solomon. Rehoboam has appointed as chief prince his oldest son Abijah by his favorite wife Maacah. She is his cousin by his uncle Absalom, in fact. Did you catch that? Rehoboam and Jeroboam both give their lead sons the name Abijah. If you remember our Hebrew lesson back in the day of Abraham, you'll remember that Ab, or Av, means father. And hopefully by now you've gotten that any Yah's out there, like in Hallelujah, means me, Yahweh, Hallelujah means praise Yahweh, and Abai Yah means Yahweh's my dad. Great name. Great irony, certainly in Jeroboam's case, who to be accurate should have named his son Yahweh and Baal and Dagon are my dads, since those guys got mixed up in with me pretty much right away in Jeroboam's theology. Let's just hope the name Abijah holds true meaning for Rehoboam's son down in Judah. Let us see. As we mentioned, Rehoboam sets Abijah as his chief prince among his twenty-seven brothers, even though he's not the oldest. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? A son favored above others because of his mom's special relationship with dad when compared with the other wives. Think Joseph over the others because of Jacob's penchant for Rachel, and Solomon over his older brothers because of David's preference for Bathsheba. And as long as we are pointing out lineage here, let me remark on how much better a chance Rehoboam and his family have of staying on the way in view of the king's choice of marrying at least a couple wives from among the daughters of Judah. They are both his cousins, which is taboo in your habitat for good reason, but this is way earlier in the gene pool, folks. So at least these two have been raised praising me and are raising their kids to do the same, all in contrast to the interference experienced by Solomon at the hands of all his foreign princesses. Now, it's not like Rehoboam has waited to become king before marrying. He's in his forties when crowned king. That's in 1 Kings 14.21. He's essentially middle-aged in his habitat when forty was the new fifty-five, so his older sons are in their twenties. Rehoboam parses out the more mature of his princes throughout his kingdom, in all his fortified cities, to both represent him and care for the people. He makes sure every one of them loves his job by keeping them well-fed and happy giving them abundant provisions, and taking many wives for them. 2 Chronicles 11.22 And yes, the men in this family do love their women. Solomon's wisdom didn't equate with a good memory, though, and Rehoboam suffers from the same selective recollection problem with which his dad struggled. Early on, in the humble part of both their reigns, when they acknowledge they need help to do it all, They're trusting in me for guidance and help. When they get the swing of things and are blessed because they've been trusting in me for guidance and help, they forget who the source is for all these good times and start thinking it's all due to their governing prowess. By the time five years have passed in Rehoboam's reign, he's well into the haven't I done a great job with my kingdom phase and moved into the I think I can improve on that old-fashioned system stage. Before you know it, he's got worship sites to the local imposter gods all over the place, with standing stones and pillars to the male gods and sacred poles to Asherah, the Canaanite female goddess, who is thought to be married to or at least hooking up with whichever male god is currently popularly held to be the most powerful hence the fiasco at Arad a few episodes ago. There's too much riding on Judah, not to mention my special promises to David for the benefit both of his offspring and the Abra plan to just release Rehoboam fully into the consequences he's choosing for himself. There are times in parenting when the best hope for the child to finally learn their lesson is for them to fully feel the consequences of the choices they've made. For example, teenage drivers arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol who are allowed to spend the night in jail before being bailed out by their parents have a much lower reoccurrence rate than those who are helicoptered out ASAP by their parents. True story. For the sake of those Davidic promises and the Abra plan, though, We decide instead to issue the more measured equivalent of a spanking this time, a spanking in the form of an invasion into Judah from the southwest. Rehoboam gets raided by Egypt. The name of Egypt's king is Shishak. I note this because, as many pharaohs have appeared in the story so far, he is the first one to be named. You can go back to an earlier season to hear why we've done that. Shishak is not bound by the alliance made with Solomon by the previous pharaoh. Shishak has had his eye on his northern neighbor for some time now. He knows of their disunity and split, and that all the bad feelings between north and south will keep Israel from coming to Judah's aid. He also knows of the great extent of wealth in Israel since Solomon was so quick to flaunt it, and is well aware there is treasure galore to be had up there. He works his way through Rehoboam's fortified cities with a force that includes chariots and infantry from across northern Africa, and Shishak's force is at Jerusalem's doorstep. We could let him destroy the place, but we don't our old prophet shemaiah you may remember him as the fellow i lit up to stop rehoboam from attacking the northern rebels when the nation first split shemaiah comes to rehoboam and his princes who've all beat feet up to jerusalem and has a come to yahweh moment with them all the whole episode is at 1 kings 12:21 and 2 chronicles 12 with kings providing more detail on rehoboam's sin and chronicles on Egypt's attack. Shemaiah tells them, "Here's what Yahweh's got to say. You abandoned me, so taste your own medicine. I've abandoned you into Shishak's hands." Their response? They humble themselves and acknowledge their sin. They even acknowledge that I am right for letting them face the consequences that are staring at them from just outside Jerusalem. My response Mitigation. Shushak raids the palace and temple for treasure. He does not capture my ark, as Indiana Jones would have you believe, sorry, George and Phil, but leaves the rest of the city alone. The shields of gold fashioned by Solomon for the guards of my temple are carted to Egypt to adorn the seat of one of their departmental deities. Duplicity brings dishonor all round but because Rehoboam learns this hard lesson as he's meant to, conditions return to and remain good in Judah, 2 Chronicles 12.12. There's just not as much gold and silver lying around as there used to be. Before we go on, of course, we have to point out that there is never a point when it's too late for you to stop and wake up and smell the coffee and turn back to me. Sometimes there's no way to stop the consequences that you have triggered by your choices, but there is never a time that you should not turn back to me and ask for my forgiveness and my help. I will always be there. I will always welcome you back on the way. Rehoboam makes it to the age of 58, reigning 17 years in Jerusalem with mixed reviews. He gets off to a good start, loses his way there for a bit, but then humbles himself and hearkens to the discipline I send him through Shishak. And so Rehoboam's son, Abijah, inherits a small nation that is mostly loyal to me yet. Now, if you stick solely to the play-by-play in Kings, Abijah, also known as Abijam, I'm sorry they didn't keep it quite straight. Abijah is quite an unremarkable also-ran. It's as if the writers of Kings is a bit prejudiced on the side of the north, and doesn't want you to know anything about the challenge this grandson of Solomon brings to Jeroboam. Chronicles, however, records a stunning battle between them. Including in that Chronicles account in 2 Chronicles 13 is the best battle speech ever recorded, surpassing even Shakespeare's St. Crispin's Day monologue in Henry V. Abijah's is mercifully shorter, too. And yes, I would and do urge you to crack open the owner's manual. That's Second Chronicles 13. Ready? Go! It contains the reminder of our covenant with David, an admission of Rehoboam's immaturity, the inexcusable use of golden calves and civilian priests in the north, and Abijah's ultimate reliance on me in faithful worship. I don't apologize for these things being predictable for when he's finished, Abijah and his troops of Judah triumph over Israel, even though Jeroboam is the more wily and has sent a force around to ambush Judah from the rear. Because of his relative faithfulness, Abijah wins the day. Because of his unfaithfulness, Jeroboam not only loses the battle, but never fully recovers. Not to give the impression that Abijah is not to be faulted in the way he discharges his duties as a king during his brief reign of three years. He may have his head on straight enough to acknowledge me the way he does in his stirring battleground speech there in Chronicles, but both kings and chronicles indicate a disloyalty on his part in the form of high places with altars for foreign gods still dotting the Judean landscape under Abijah. His mother, Maaka, in the pattern set by Grandpa Solomon's Wives, has become so much a sponsor of the worship of Asherah, the Canaanite fertility goddess, she has crassly erected a wooden sculpture of an object associated with fertility, just use your imagination, at the nearest shrine, in case Asherah needs a little help. And so, when Abijah's son Asa inherits Judah after his dad's brief reign, Asa sets a precedent that will unfortunately need to be repeated of reforming the worship practices that have become corrupt. He burns Maaka's nasty carving, removes all the idols and prostitutes from Judean worship sites, and converts all the high places that remain to the worship of me alone. I'll admit that I'd have preferred them to be wiped out altogether, but Asa's efforts are, of course, an overwhelming good. Now, before we continue about Asa, I have the sense that some of you were glazing over a bit at this point. All this back and forth with this and that king, and who succeeds whom, and are we in the north or the south, and— If you're not one who's interested in politics, monarchies, soap operas, or the resultant combinations thereof, you may be losing the keen edge of concentration you've had up to now. I would, of course, urge you to hang in there. Try listening to the dense bits a couple times through, or even better, call up or print out a diagram from the Internet. A quick search for Kings of Israel and Judah will give you plenty of options. If that doesn't work for you, skip the rest of this episode and the next one as well. You'll be missing out, though, so make that a last resort. And good for you for staying with us. Back to Asa, then, whom you can see from the diagram you just accessed is David's great-great-grandson. Once again, Chronicles has more detail about Asa and his southern reign, while Kings is waited on the side of Israel and goings-on up north. After applauding Asa's religious reforms in Judah, Kings briefly summarizes a military alliance Asa makes with one of Israel's allies and then trundles Asa off to sleep with his ancestors. In contrast, Chronicles doesn't put him to bed for a much longer time, detailing at length a few episodes previous to Asa's last, including a southern invasion of Judah by Ethiopia. In response to this, Asa cries in faith to us for help and our answering intervention not only repulses the invasions but results in a great plunder of the attackers. That's 2 Chronicles 14.9. Naturally, we seize the teaching moment and send a single-use prophet, Azariah, to underscore the relationship between Asa's faithfulness and our action on his behalf. Yahweh is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you, but if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Kings leaves all this poignant moment out, so thank me for the chronicler, because, obviously, there's a lot more to our relationship, yours and mine, than what just sped by in this brief description of Ace's behavior and repentance and my deliverance. But I am with you when you are with me. If you seek me, I will be found by you. And I am so grateful you are seeking me. You wouldn't be listening right now if you weren't. So I extend my love and blessings to you right now, friend. I am so thankful for you and our time together, and I will not leave you as we walk together on the way. Thanks for listening. We hope this episode has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to support what we do, give us a review on iTunes or Facebook, then share this podcast with your friends. There's a link to the very first episode right under today's podcast on our website, 15minutesontheway.com. We hope today's podcast has reminded you that you, friend, are part of an epic story that is still unfolding today. So keep walking on the way, and until next time, be good to yourself.